Good morning, afternoon, evening, as the case may be, depending on where you're dialing in from. Um, I'm Vicky Wickramaratna, a partner in the global employment team here at Allen and Overy, and I'm delighted to welcome you to our call today. This is the second call we've run to date on the topic of COVID-19 and the key risks to be aware of. Last week, we looked at matters from the UK perspective, and if you're interested in hearing more about that, a recording is available on our website. We'll be recording this call too, and we'll share a copy of this recording with you so you can pass it to your teams. Future calls are going to be taking place, and we will be in touch with you with details of those shortly. Some of these will be jurisdiction specific. But today, I'm delighted to be joined by many of my colleagues from across our global network. So let me briefly introduce you to them now. Uh, today, we're joined by Sylvia Bowser in Spain, Marco Berent, Germany, Livio Passotto from Italy, Gilles Dal Agnol from Luxembourg, Sarah Hencho, my partner here in the UK, Brian Jebb from the United States, Arnold Kaiser, Netherlands, Susanna Ng, China, Claire Tremieux from France, and last but not least, Inga van der Ecken from Belgium. So my fantastic colleagues are attempting something quite ambitious on this call today. Over the course of the next hour, we want to highlight for you some of the major developments of interest and the spectrum of emerging policy and practice as our workplaces respond rapidly to COVID-19. Thank you to those who submitted ideas for topics via the invitation. Hopefully, we'll address most of these as we progress through this call. Today, we're focusing on some of the immediate concerns, leaves of absence, remote working, and pay arrangements, as well as those mechanisms available to businesses to cut costs in response to this crisis, whether through redundancies and layoffs or short-time working. We'll do this through a series of questions and answers that are going to be led by me. Practically, you'll appreciate we won't get far in this next hour if each of our 10 experts respond to each of my questions. So we've divided the questions amongst them with a view to bringing out the key differences in approach. Of course, all my colleagues will remain available to you to discuss any specific follow-up if we don't manage to address your immediate questions on this call, and we will circulate a contact list afterwards. With that in mind, let's make a start. So, team, the situation is fluid and emergency legislation has changed the framework of employee relationships. We've seen new, new laws introduced in a number of places just in these past few weeks. And so I want to take this first question to all, all locations that have new emergency measures to report. By way of a high-level summary, please, if you will, let's start with um, Arnold in the Netherlands. Yes, thank you. In the Netherlands, uh, the government announced emergency measures uh, last week, a key measure is that the government will temporarily compensate employers for up to 90% of their wage bill. Uh, the main features are it applies for three months with a possible extension of another three months. Uh, the level of compensation will be linked to expected loss of turnover since 1 March 2020. So if the loss is 50%, the government will foot 45% of the wage bill. Uh, with a minimum turnover loss of 20%. Last night, uh, the government emphasized to Parliament that it's vital to supply companies with the funds as soon as possible. Uh, as such, the government will first pay in advance of 80% of the requested compensation. Uh, the subsidy has one important condition. During the period of compensation, the employer cannot apply for redundancies. So, in short, the new measure is geared towards providing companies with liquidity to cope with their personnel costs, but also to avoid unemployment. That's very helpful. Thanks, Arnold. How about um, for you in France, Claire? Yes, in France, um, already some concrete measures have been taken um, with containment. Um, and as an example, instructions to work from home where possible with a special authorization to go to work that is now necessary to be shown to the police and filled by the employer. Um, an extension of uh, sickness leave with social security benefits to those who must stay at home for childcare purpose 
as a result of the school closures. Um, specific instructions have been also published on uh, the Ministry of Labour website uh, prescribing health and safety measures and in particular cleaning in the workplace and distancing, the distancing rules. And uh, finally, there's also a possibility to postpone payment of social security contributions. There's more to come, as since yesterday, Parliament has authorized the government to take derogatory measures by decree, and so we're expecting even this week um, new decrees on the deferral of profit-sharing payments, um, paid holidays uh, with the possibility to impose paid holidays uh, with company agreements, and also derogatory working time in some um, uh, critical uh, businesses. And finally, um, new measures with respect to short-time work and temporary layoffs. We'll be watching that space, Claire. Thank you. Um, Luxembourg, Gilles. Thank you, Vicky. Um, so Luxembourg has similar confinement measures than, than Germany and France. And the government has enacted a number of measures that have an impact on employment relationships. The, most, the five most relevant ones are, first, an extension of the possibilities for parents to take leave for family reasons. Second, we have a state-backed system of partial unemployment, which um, has now a facilitated access, and we'll talk about that later. Third measure, all employers that are active in fields of essential necessity are allowed to cancel all holidays of employees, in particular in the telecommunication sector, in the health sector, in the banking sector, and in the insurance sector. Fourth measure, there's a strong recommendation for companies to have employees to work from home. Um, this has created adverse tax consequences for cross-border commuters, and Luxembourg has agreed with Belgium and France that all days of homeworking performed after 14th of March are considered as performed in Luxembourg, even if the, the people work from home in Belgium or in France. And final measure, employees on parental leave are allowed to stop or to pause this parental leave in order to go back to work and earn their normal wages. A raft of measures there. And Sarah, in the UK, we've even been busy here, right, in the last week? We have indeed. Um, so yes, in the UK, the government announced the coronavirus job retention scheme, um, not dissimilar actually to what Arnold's been talking about in the Netherlands. Under this scheme, any employee who's been furloughed, and by that we mean granted a leave of absence that still remains employed, will be able to receive 80% of their salary, up to a maximum of 2,500 per month. This will be payable by the employee, uh, sorry, by the employer, and will be reimbursed by the government. Payments will be backdated to the 1st of March, um, and as per the Netherlands, the plan is for this to be in place for three months initially, but it may be extended. The employer can also top up the payment from the 80% up to the full 100% if it wishes to do so. Um, I think the one issue we're seeing in the UK, however, is there's still a huge number of unknowns in relation to the scheme and we're waiting for further government guidance on what this will look like in practice. For example, we've had a number of questions from people, I'm sure many of whom are on the line, um, asking about how this will impact things like pension contributions, national insurance contributions, what if employees do some work, but not their usual hours or their usual duties, will they still be able to get this subsidy? So at the moment, um, it's watch this space in the UK for the further details. That's a really all quite unprecedented, um, I think, here for the UK. Um, Sylvia, in Spain, what's going on over there? Thank you, Vicky. Well, in Spain, as a consequence of the declaration of a state of alarm last 14 of March, the Spanish government has established a number of measures, among them the, the limitation of freedom of movement, which limits the right of people to move on the public highway, though it allows them to go to their workplace as employees in certain other cases. Um, the package of new measures are fundamentally related in relation to employees to the express recommendation there is no obligation in a strict sense to work remotely as well as to adapt or reduce the working day even up to 100% for the direct care of family members 
when exceptional circumstances arise from the COVID-19. And on the other hand, companies can carry out collective processes to suspend employment contracts or reduce working hours uh, temporarily. And during that period of suspension of employment contracts, employees will not receive their wages, but will receive the public unemployment benefits. However, during this period, companies do have to continue to pay the social security contributions, the, the company's contributions, except in cases where a major cost concurs for which the new regulations provide certain discounts between 75 and 100% on the payments of those social security contributions. So that's basically the, the most relevant measures that we are dealing with here in Spain. Many thanks, Sylvia. Um, Inga, Belgium, what have you got to report? Hi, Vicky. Belgium has also taken specific measures to protect employees. Companies must organize working from home for all employees where this is possible, or otherwise they need to strictly respect social distancing. If companies cannot meet these obligations, they must close down. Exceptions exist for key industries and essential services, but they will also have to take the necessary measures to ensure social distancing as much as possible. Apart from these measures, there is another issue that is very specific in Belgium that I would like to highlight, and that is that the social election proceedings have been suspended. During these social elections, employees elect their employee representatives for the company and this for the next four years. So they elect the employee representatives for the Works Council and the Prevention Committee. And the elections were supposed to be held in May this year, but will now be postponed until a later date, with all the practical consequences that this entails. Wow, goodness, some extreme measures there. Um, Livio, in Italy, um, what's the latest for you? Thank you, Vicky. In Italy, uh, let me say that the government has started to face uh, the emergency around one month ago. And obviously, considering the serious situation we are still living, they continue to issue urgent measures roughly once per week, depending on the evolution of the crisis. From the beginning of the outbreak, the changes have been focused especially on the following uh, measure, let me say. First of all, encouraging the smart working and remote working limiting the movement of employees closing certain activities, so uh, unless just the essential ones, helping companies to face emergency with economic benefits like uh, social furlough, so the employees can be, uh, let me say, the employment contract with the employees can be frozen uh, until nine weeks with uh, the right of the employees to receive 80% of their remuneration until certain cap, and the remuneration is paid directly by the national, uh, national social security body. There is also the extension of the tax and social security terms. So the employers have, let me say, an extension of two months in paying tax and social security, and then especially limiting the redundancy. When I say limiting the redundancy, it means that the employers are prevented from notifying or continuing a redundancy or a structuring plan that they have in place before the outbreak. Thank you. Um, let's go across the water to the US and hear from Brian. I think you've had some big announcements this week, haven't you, Brian? Yes, thanks, Vicky. Uh, there's been three major changes in the US. The first, is, the most significant one, is uh, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act was enacted, which will be effective on April 2, and that has two major changes. One, it provides emergency paid sick leave um, of up to 10 days. Um, this only applies to employers having less than 500 employees. The second is it expands the rights to family and medical leave up to 12 weeks. Um, but the first two weeks can be unpaid, which I think dovetails into the two weeks of sick leave now employees uh, will be entitled to. Uh, the second major development is just overnight uh, the stimulus bill uh, was agreed and we understand will be signed today. Um, that will give US employers who apply um, funding 
but compensation restrictions for executives are in the bill. We haven't seen what they'll be, but the, the, the last draft we saw was executives earning over $425,000 will have compensation restrictions. So those folks who remember the financial crisis and TARP in the US, we may be having a return to that. And the third development is in state laws. So depending on where your employees in the US are based, many states have introduced sick leave and other family leave laws in those states. Well, quite, quite a complement of um, responses over there as well. And finally, um, let's go to Markov in Germany to hear from him. Thanks, Vicky. Um, so in Germany, we have basically uh, two, two acts. Um, one started at the very beginning of the crisis where um, and the concept of short-time work um, was um, loosened a little bit. That is a concept which is already known in Germany for many years, but now um, employers can more easily apply for funding by the German state. Um, in a scenario where the employer, due to the crisis, has to shorten the, the working time of the employees or even send them home, um, they can apply for um, uh, receiving 60% of the employees from a net, respectively 67% if the employee has children. Um, and um, that is even the case if not all of the employees have to be sent home or uh, reduced in their working time, but only if 10% uh, of the employees are affected. Um, secondly, but I will come, come to that later, um, just today um, um, new legislation was imposed regarding protecting parents uh, who cannot work because they have to take care of their children. And third, there's many, many further discussions going on at the, at the moment, um, but no um, specific legislation yet. Um, just to name one example, um, works councils in Germany must not make any decisions um, internally without having a personal meeting, which means that if they are working in the home office, anything they decide by video conference is void. And that basically makes it impossible for works councils to do their job. And um, we are waiting for that, but uh, for now, uh, no decisions have been made in that respect yet. Mm. Thank you, uh, Marco. So a sort of raft of uh, stuff uh, being discussed with some consistencies in what we're seeing, particularly across Europe, but obviously each location is responding quite differently uh, to the challenges that they face. Um, Susanna in China, I'm, I'm particularly um, interested in hearing from you because, of course, in China, you're slightly ahead of the world in terms of the, the progression of this disease. Is there anything that you can share with us on the employment or po practice or policy um, you've seen in, those, in your location since the outbreak that you think uh, we and the rest of the world can learn from? Yes, certainly. But I think that for China, in terms of employment policy and practices, uh, this are closely linked with the measures taken by the Chinese government. Uh, at the initial stage, the government and employment practice focused more on how to control the spread of the disease. The government extended the Chinese holiday, the Chinese New Year holiday, and most local government did not allow business to resume before a set date. So during this business separation uh, uh, suspension period, home working was the norm, and employees worked remotely if they could. Government discouraged unnecessary business travels, face-to-face -face meetings, and any kind of large-scale gatherings. People really followed. So basically, at that time, everything was online. The employment policy and practices at that time was tried to support home working model. After the business officially resumed in China, employers then started to figure out how to reduce employment costs while at the same time protect the employer's health in compliance with their statutory obligations. For employment uh, cost saving, first, um, I, I think it is a fact that a lot of businesses in China are affected by the disease. But there are some businesses which have a shortage of manpower. For example, people working in the supermarket, they are extremely busy, while in other businesses, they have excessive manpower. For example, people in the restaurants, because of social distancing, um, people are just not going to dine out. So a creative labor sharing method came up. Um, well, I think uh, we have all heard about bicycle sharing, things like that. But labor sharing is a new thing, a new concept in China. 
uh, we don't know if this is going to be allowed in the future or whether this will be the trend going forward. But at this stage, at this stage, the government uh, authority recognized this as a practice to uh, help businesses save employment costs. Another thing uh, is for those employers who have financial difficulties, um, they started to, what we observe is uh, they started to discuss with the employee to explore alternatives. Be that to reduce their salary, change their remuneration structure, arrange unpaid leave, or have like a, a reduced work week. So, so this is also happening in China right now. Um, I think in so far as the workplace health and safety is concerned, it's not surprising that uh, uh, as required by law, employers, they, they need to take all the steps to ensure the workplace is safe. So uh, employers, they give face masks, they do more regular cleaning. Apart from that, we have also seen companies adopt other measures. For example, there are companies which are now doing what we call the Team A and Team B arrangement, so that people in Team A um, do not get to see people in Team B and vice versa. There are also companies which take this even further by taking out additional office space so that Team A work in one location while Team B work in another location. Some companies continue to have employees working remotely, in which case better IT equipment, devices are provided. Say, for example, last week our firms asked us whether we want to take a, a, a bigger computer screen so that we can work better and more efficiently. Um, last, of, uh, last but not least, some companies also require uh, staff to do uh, self-decoration and also self-isolation. Strict approval is required if you need to come back to the office before the end of the self-isolation period. So I think these are, are, are the things which are more commonly adopted now in this part of the world. Susanna, that's really um, useful and interesting to hear. I mean, obviously, some of that um, practice and policy uh, may well foreshadow um, you know, what we might expect um, future developments on this, on this side of the world to be in due course. So turning to the um, unfortunate reality uh, that the present situation may lead to a need for businesses to cut costs, it's obviously going to be important to know whether there are any locations now that have prohibitions on redundancies. Um, Sarah, could I perhaps start with you in the UK? Sure. Um, at the moment, we don't have any prohibitions on redundancy, um, but given the job retention scheme I mentioned at the outset of the call, um, it may be harder for a company to justify grounds for redundancy rather than using the furlough arrangement. It also might be more uh, the case that employees will be more inclined to challenge a redundancy. That's because if they're made redundant now, they'll only get a statutory redundancy payment or an enhanced payment if the company offers it. Whereas if they're furloughed, they'll get their furlough pay for a period of time and then either return to work um, or be made redundant further down the line. So obviously people will be better off in that situation than if there's immediate redundancies. Um, I mentioned we're still waiting for government guidance on the job retention scheme, so it may be that one of the conditions for securing that um, funding is that the company agrees not to carry out redundancies, um, such as Arnold mentioned in the Netherlands. Thanks very much. Um, Claire, am I right in thinking things might be a bit more challenging in France for employers who wish to carry out redundancies? Well, yes, uh, probably they will be, as uh, currently, as in the UK, there's no prohibition um, on redundancies. However, uh, in the Act that has been adopted by Parliament and published yesterday that announces new decree, um, there's a provision that authorizes the government to take any measure to limit terminations of employment. So, of course, Everyone is waiting for details to come as uh, to the meaning of this uh, sentence. Um, what is true is that there will be no prohibition, uh, but however, we can probably anticipate difficulties, in particular when short-time uh, work with state support has been given. Uh, in France, as you may know, uh, redundancies uh, involving at least uh, 10 employees uh, require an authorization by the labor authority. So we could guess that this is going to be um, 
probably difficult to obtain in a context, uh, in the current context, and in particular when short-term employment has been um, given with state support. Thank you. So, uh, challenges, but no prohibitions in, in France and the UK. Um, Livio, how about in Italy? Yeah, thank you, Vicky. Uh, yes, the answer to your question is yes, because with a decree issued just uh, on the 17th of March, the Italian government has introduced a very, uh, let me say, a pretty unique in the European Parliament measure, and also in the history of Italy, setting out uh, a sort of ban to dismiss employees for economic reasons. Uh, this means that any redundancy, both individual and collective, will be prohibited during 60 days. So this means that in Italy we have a very, let me say, unique situation, uh, and until 15 of May 2020, all the companies cannot uh, serve this missile for economic reasons. And if they have started collecting this missile as from 23rd of February, also the terms are uh, suspended. So obviously uh, we uh, receive uh, a lot of questions from clients because just understand if there is an exception to this prohibition. Finally, uh, obviously there are, but just uh, let me say possible in Italy to dismiss at the moment employees for personal reason, certain misconduct, and depending on the such interpretation of the law, also, uh, it is possible to dismiss people in the probationary period or executives because finally, by definition, they do not fall under the definition of dismissal for economic reason. In any case, we expect some debate in the coming uh, days and weeks, also because uh, depending on some interpretation, these, um, let me say, measures can be also considered not constitutional against the initiative of the entrepreneur in Italy. So uh, we expect a lot of debate in the coming weeks. Thank you, that's really interesting. So you're really generally working within very strict parameters at the moment um, in Italy. Uh, Silvia, yeah. in Spain, in Spain, are you uh, more aligned with the, the approach in Italy or, or, or more no. on the side of the kind of UK, France, not in this in this case. In Spain, there is no legal prohibition to make layoffs. However, uh, it's very important to bear in mind that in order for the employers and employees to enjoy certain new temporary employment benefits granted by the government, mainly in terms of more urgent procedures and exemptions of social security contributions, companies have to assume the commitment to maintain employment for at least six months after resuming their future activities. And this is something that is creating uh, a lot of questions around this. And um, probably it will be something that will be uh, developed by future rules on this matter. So we'll see how can we deal with this. Interesting, we'll keep, we'll keep an eye out for that. So, yeah. so the le leaving um, redundancies aside as one means of reducing costs, what about alternatives to redundancies, um, such as layoffs or short-term working? Are these permitted or perhaps even encouraged in in any locations? Um, Brian, in, in the United States, I don't know whether you've got anything you want to say about this. Uh, yes, thanks, Vicky. In the US, you can put employees on, we call it on furlough. Um, now, that's simple when you're talking about your hourly workers. In the US, we have a distinction between exempt and non-exempt workers under the Fair Labor Standards Act. The hourly workers, who are the, the, the non-exempt, if they are not doing any work, it's very simple that they don't need to get paid on furlough. With uh, your exempt workers or your salaried employees, if they do any work during the week, they still need to be paid while on furlough. So if they answer one email, that would classify as work and they would still have to get paid, but they can be put on furlough. Just another thing to note that some states have notification requirements if you're putting employees on furlough. So even though you can do it, uh, check state law uh, about whether there are notification requirements, you have to do it first. The only other uh, wrinkle on this is if 
an employee in the U.S. is doing actual layoffs, they're actually uh, going to either close a plant or do a mass layoff. There may be considerations under the Federal WARN Act or State WARN Act, and so employers should be aware of those restrictions as well. Thank you. That's very helpful. Um, let's go to Belgium. Inga. Yes, thank you, Vicky. In Belgium, employers may make use of the system of temporary unemployment. And this system allows an employer, under certain conditions, to temporarily suspend the employment contracts of its employees or part of its employees. And this way, employers can avoid dismissing employees and keep them in service until conditions improve. And when on temporary unemployment, the employees will receive unemployment benefits from the state. And this as long as their employment contracts are suspended. And so the company no longer has to pay employees who are on temporary unemployment. There are several ways to introduce a temporary unemployment scheme. At the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak, employers mainly used the systems requiring force majeure or economic reasons. But the latter system was more complex than the first. So last week, because of the specific circumstances surrounding the outbreak and the extremely high number of applications, the government decided to simplify the procedure and to open up the system of force majeure to all situations related to the COVID-19 outbreak. So employers will need to submit an electronic declaration to the Social Security portal and employees will be entitled to these unemployment benefits. And these are the, the paid through the state social security system. And the allowances are 70% of the employee's salary, but the salary is kept at approximately 2,000 euros. And this percentage is an increase from the usual 65%. Um, thanks, Inga. I mean, that's a really good example, I think, of how fluid the situation is. And, you know, the situation, as you understand it, or we all understand it from day to day, can, can literally sort of change overnight, um, requiring us all to sort of stay close to, um, to our, our online news, I guess. Um, Claire, in France, what's the situation there vis-a-vis layoffs and short-time working comments? Well, there are quite many similarities with, with Belgium, actually. Um, we have a, cur a current scheme that is in place um, that uh, works in two situations, either when the contract is suspended or when the number of hours is reduced as a result of a slowdown in, in an activity uh, or force majeure. Um, the current, what is expected, uh, we're waiting for new measures this week, is um, a set of measures to reinforce that short-term working system. Uh, we, the current scheme provides for the obligation of the employer to maintain 70% of the compensation, which in net correspond more or less to 85% of the net salary and then is able to get reimbursement but for quite a low amount because it's up to roughly eight euros per hour. Uh, what is coming is that the reimbursement by the state will be increased up to 36 euros per hour and new categories of employees will be eligible. This will include temporary workers, cadre with a forfait working arrangement for instance. And uh, finally, the response by the labor authorities uh, will probably be uh, speed up uh, with, the, with the response the authorities said they will respond in 48 hours. So um, that should uh, allow companies to have a very quick answer and that will be necessary because um, there, is a need, there is a need for a justification uh, when you apply for reimbursement from the state. And um, currently, there is a bit of a cloudy situation as to the position of the, uh, the authorities vis-à-vis uh, -vis the, the request, some of the requests. Of course, it's clear when uh, you belong to, um, to a business like in retail that where uh, you know, shops must be closed, so that will certainly apply and cover employees. Uh, however, in other situations, uh, there's quite a gray area. So presumably requires quite a bit of thinking. Um, Gilles in Luxembourg, um, what's the situation there? 
Yeah, Luxembourg has a system which is uh, actually pretty similar to the Belgian one, so a system of uh, partial or temporary unemployment, very uh, comparable to short-term working. The government has confirmed that this scheme is available in the framework of the COVID-19 crisis and has facilitated the access. Um, it is a setup that essentially allows companies to put employees that are not fully occupied on partial or full leave. During that period, no dismissals for economic reasons are allowed, so there's a prohibition on dismissals, not generally, but under this specific scheme. Now, for the period of the leave, the employees are paid a specific indemnity, and this indemnity corresponds to 80% of their salaries, and the cap is at 5,235 euros per month, so much higher than, uh, than in some other countries, but uh, the, let's say that the salary costs in Luxembourg tend to be higher and elsewhere as well. The employer gets full reimbursement for these amounts, but um, the government's own website has been slightly misleading on the topic, and a number of companies has, have wondered whether they need to pay a delta between the delta between the actual salary and the um, specific indemnity, and actually the response is no, the employers do not have to pay any delta. The question is whether they can do it voluntarily, and um, when you read the text, the answer is probably no, but practice shows that a lot of employers are doing it anyway, and we expect there's a certain flexibility from the authorities in, in that regard. Now, another question that has been raised a lot of times is whether homeworking and partial unemployment can be combined. The answer is that they can, of course, not be done simultaneously, so a given employee cannot be teleworking and at the same time get the um, partial unemployment money. But they can, be de they can be done one after the other. So you can very well have an employee who's on partial unemployment on a Monday and who does teleworking on a Tuesday. That would work in our opinion. And then finally, the question has been raised a lot of times whether um, companies, multinationals or companies from the financial sector have um, started having recourse to these measures. A week ago, the answer would have been no. And Vicky, you mentioned it a few times, it's a very fluid situation. Uh, today, we have to admit that we have received a number of requests from clients in those sectors, and we would expect that indeed some of them will have recourse to those measures over the next days or weeks. Many thanks. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for those. So, um, Italy aside, um, assuming employers are not leveraging alternatives such as layoffs or short-time working, um, but instead, you know, reach the unfortunate determination or the regrettable determination that they do need to make redundancies. How, how practically do employers go about doing this when employees are not in the office? How does this work when large groups of people are, are working remotely? I think um, Spain, Sylvia, you've, you've had some um, new rules there, have you, in relation to the way in which we, employers Sort of have to go about these processes. So, Sylvia? Perhaps we've yeah. lost... Um, Vicky, I'm sorry, oh. I was with a mute, sorry. No, no uh, not at all. Go ahead. In, in Spain, the answer will depend on whether it is an individual dismissal or a collective dismissal. In the first case, individual dismissal, the communication of the dismissal could be made by post email, by Bureau of Us with acknowledgement of receipt and tax certification. But in the case of collective dismissals, in which a negotiation period must be opened with, the, with employees or the legal representatives, it will be necessary to use the appropriate telematic means now that we are most of us working from home. In fact, there are external companies specialized in certifying the sending and receiving of communication with whom we are uh, now working in, in several cases, because what is truly important is that companies can have proof of reliable evidence of sending and receiving communications. That's the key. So this is this is basically the the main the the, the, the appropriate uh, process to to follow. Thank you, um, Marco from Germany. Are we having to find different ways of working there too? We do, <clears throat> for several reasons, um, although in Germany it is not necessary to consult with employees personally um, before handing over a notice period, a notice letter. 
Um, uh, two examples um, why it is tricky um, anyway. Um, um, notice letters under Germany, German law need to be signed in wet ink, and there is um, even in these times no exception from that. So um, when well, delivering notices of termination, it will be necessary to have the notice letter delivered to the managing director or whoever can sign a notice of termination, um, have it signed in wet ink and then delivered um, by a courier to the employee's home and throw it into the, the employee's mailbox. Um, in case of, and that's the second example where it can be tricky at the moment, in case of collective redundancy, it's even more complicated because if an employer plans a collective redundancy, um, which is the case if a certain amount of employees are going to be dismissed, um, the employer has to negotiate with the works council before, and in a worst-case scenario, even have to initiate court proceedings. Um, this process can take up uh, several months, um, so what we see at the moment as clients is that uh, collective redundancies because of the COVID-19 situation is not seriously considered. Um, while already started consultation processes for other reasons um, are continued despite the current situation. But um, I'm sure that those will be certainly delayed. Interesting. And Sarah, I know you've been looking at this for the UK. Anything to add? Yeah, so similar to what um, Markov and Sylvia said, actually, we haven't got any specific changes to our consultation legislation. So really, it's the practical challenges that go with the, particularly the collective consultation of how you alert everybody to the fact that you need to make redundancies, how you go about electing employee reps if you don't already have a body that you can use, and so using online nomination forms and online voting for those who have put themselves forward. Then obviously how you conduct the consultation meetings, and obviously making good use of all the various different technologies available and to be able to have live meetings with people. And obviously during the collective consultation meetings, you would have a number of questions and answers which you could then make available to employees through intranets um, or similar resources. Um, one, two things actually, and um, there's kind of words of caution, I suppose. Um, one is if you're going through a selection process to identify who should be made redundant, um, thinking about the documents um, that you're creating there um, and how you're really going to be conducting that assessment of people, um, particularly for line managers who might be doing this in isolation. Um, and linked to that is obviously that, that usual question that comes up around creating documents that may well be disclosable in litigation in the future. Um, I think when we do these things face-to-face, -face, um, documents perhaps that are created more rarely and more thought goes into them. Whereas you can imagine in a situation here, there might be email exchanges or perhaps some unhelpful documents um, that may then come up into litigation and be problematic for you going forwards. Um, just to pick up on one of the points Markov said about the consultation period, um, for those obviously who practice in the UK, you'll know that consultation is normally 30 or 45 days, depending on the number of people you're making redundant. We don't yet have any guidance from the government as to whether they're going to reduce that period at all in light of COVID-19. Um, but there is an exemption to the 30 and 45 day night consultation period if there are special circumstances. Um, I was talking yesterday to a number of different practitioners and it's probably about 50-50 between us as to who thinks this is a special circumstance and who thinks it isn't. But if you are going to try and rely on that defence, it's important you do some consultation um, because if you don't even attempt to consult, then that obviously will put you into problematic water um, in the event of litigation. Hmm. I mean, one, one thing that's apparent from, from everything the three of you just said about this is that um, the employee relations landscape has changed, hasn't it? And um, policies and processes that we, we're used to operating, uh, we have protocols for, um, need to be rethought and we probably need to bake a bit more time into getting all our ducks in order when we're going to be rolling out um, something of that nature you know, in this sort of environment where um, people are remote working and there are these practical difficulties. Okay, let's change track now and look at the the topic of leave arrangements and pay, which for many have you know brought about the most pressing questions over the course of the last week or two. What is the the position on on sick pay um, in your jurisdictions? Does it apply when someone is self isolating, even if 
they don't have symptoms. And Brian, I'd like to take that question to you in the US, if I may. Sure. So in the US, in the US previously, there wasn't a federal right to sick pay for employees. That now changed under the Family First Coronavirus Response Act that I mentioned earlier. That applies to employers with more than with less than 500 employees, where employees will have the right to two weeks paid sick leave. Now that. In answer to the question of what about if they're self-isolating even if they don't have symptoms, the answer will depend on whether they are subject to a quarantine order or they've been advised to quarantine or isolate or they're caring for a family member who, who is. If so, if any of those um, circumstances are present, they will have, have the right to sick leave um, under the Act. And it's important to note that in the US, it's very um, location specific. A number of states, such as New York, where I live, there are mandatory um, quarantine and isolate orders. So this will apply to a, a large number of US employees. Thank you. Susanna, how about for you guys in, in China? Well, uh, in China, the authority um, has made it very clear that employee under compulsory medical observation or, or self-isolation, no matter whether they have symptoms or not, will be paid at the full or normal wages. So if at the end of the compulsory medical observation or self-isolation um, period, uh, employees need to get medical treatment and cannot return to work, then they will get the statutory sick pay, which is at a, 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 a much more reduced rate. Thank you. And, and finally on this question, um, let's go to the Netherlands. Arnold. Yeah, in the Netherlands, uh, employers are required to pay six staff uh, uh, up to 70% of their salary up to a certain uh, cap. And then typically, employers pay more uh, under the employment contracts. If you look at the current situation where an uh, employee is asymptomatic but still inside self-isolation, if that's in line um, uh, with government guidelines or uh, at the initiative or advice of the employer, uh, our view is that the employer should continue to pay full wages, um, uh, not quite dissimilarly to uh, to what Brian just said in the US. Uh, Interesting. Thank you. There's been a lot of discussion here in the UK about um, the situation where an employee can't work remotely, just doesn't, isn't able to do their job from home, but the employers had to close the workplace anyway, and are they still entitled to pay? I'm interested to know um, the answer to this question for Spain, Sylvia. Um, are employees entitled to pay in those circumstances? And if so, is that their full normal rate of pay or some form of sick pay? In uh, Spain, the law, uh, yeah. Go ahead. In Spain, in Spain, the law understands that the lack of work is not attributable to the employee. So, unless the company has not carried out a corresponding legal process of suspension or termination of employment contracts, uh, the employers are not entitled to unilaterally stop paying the full wages to 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 employees. So that's how it works here. Thank you. Um, is is the situation different in Italy, Livio? Thank you, Vicky. Um, not exactly. It depends in Italy. In, under Italian law, it depends on how the decision is taken. I mean, if the decision to close, for example, the workplace is taken by the employer and not imposed by the law, in that case, the employee is entitled to receive the full pay. Um, but uh, as it, um, it happens now in Italy, for example, there is an order to close. In that case, it would be possible for the employer not to pay the, um, the, 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 the wage to the employee because the decision depend, depends on the order of the Italian government. However, just to face to this situation, the Italian government obviously has provided the possibility for the companies uh, uh, instead of not paying uh, the employees just to put them in a social furlough called Casa Integrazione in order to suspend the employment relationship uh, asking the social security to pay the salary during the, the, this period of, fro of frozen employment relationship. Thank you very much. Um, Markov, um, what's the position in Germany? 
pretty much comparable with uh, the situation Livio just described in Italy, actually. And it, it, it is it, it's interesting what's important, what the reason is for the closure, whether it's um, um, and by, by government decision or by um, entrepreneurial decision of, of the employer. Um, in the latter case, um, um, also the employer will be obliged to continue to pay the salary. But as already mentioned at the very beginning of this call, um, we do have a concept in Germany which is called short-time work. And in such a scenario, the employer will apply for short-time work zero, which is a concept where um, the short time is actually zero, so the, the employee does not work. Um, and um, the, the continued payment are funded by the German state in the amount of 60, respectively 67% of um, the former net. However, the net, and that is um, not unimportant, um, is uh, capped at uh, the so-called social security ceiling by a Messungsgrenze in Germany, which is approximately around about 70k per year. Um, and um, it needs to be applied for um, at the unemployment agency. The duration uh, maximum is uh, 12 months. Um, so we all hope that um, this will not be necessary in the current uh, situation. And as a further requirement um, is that at least 10% of, of the employees working in the respective business or business unit must be affected by the measure um, in amount of at least 10% of their salaries, So, which is obviously the case um, in case of a closure. So um, in summary, yes, the employees will continue to reach the salaries, but the employer will uh, receive supporting funds by the German government. Um, thanks, Marco. I mean, I, I'm sure everybody on the call shares my sentiment that I um, very much hope that that 12-month period of support um, is not going to be necessary. Um, so I suspect we could talk about this topic all day, but our hour is coming to a close, and I know that everybody who's attended this call is um, very busy attending to these issues. So in terms of pulling together the, the key takeaways um, that I think you know, we've shared on the call today, I would probably summarize this um, as follows. So, you know, the watchword is fluid. We are managing a very fluid situation. It's changing daily, and it's clearly critical that we're all keeping on top of the latest position. If we take, for example, some of the, the generous business support arrangements that have been put in place across Europe, um, if this crisis develops into something longer term, we might expect that governments will have to revisit some of those measures in due course. I think it's also important, you know, hearing from all of you, that, that we don't make assumptions about how countries are handling things. Um, it can be tempting, for example, to think of Europe as one block with, with similar rules across the European Union. Um, but of course, as we've seen today, um, the difference between the different jurisdictions can be quite profound. And finally, all of us on this call are likely to be very busy in the months ahead, getting across the changes that are inevitable as we respond to the threat posed by this disease. Ensuring um, you have the right amount and the right source of resource is going to be key. These past couple of weeks have been busy, but the new working world that we've rapidly created in this short period of time is likely to throw up novel employee relations issues that none of us have really had to think about very hard before. So with that, on behalf of the global employment team, we thank you very much for giving us your time today. If you do have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to one of us. As, we, as I mentioned at the head of the call, we will be circulating a contact sheet. And in the meantime, we send you our very best wishes uh, to you, your families and colleagues Stay healthy and goodbye from all of us.